Roar Nation, Promise Keepers is back July 31st, 2020. Estimated 80,000 men will be gathering at the AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Speakers are going to rock the house. It's going to be a full lineup. And on top of that, worship is going to be amazing. Why am I telling you so far in advance? Because tickets are on sale and they're slowly selling out. So that being said, I hope I see you there. I am planning on going. Go to promisekeepers.org to get info and tickets. Again, go to promisekeepers.org. See you there. Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation. Welcome to Are You Real? I am your host, John Fuller, fired up for today's special guest, Kevin Harris. Kevin, you ready to roar, my friend? Let's do it, John. Looking forward to it. Come on now. So, Roar Nation, uh, today's guest, again, is Kevin. He's the president of Radical Mentoring. He is an intentional small group mentoring process to help church pastors engage men, build a core group of leaders, and transform their churches. He's passionate about being a resource for church leaders that have incorporated small group mentoring into their disciple-making strategy. Him and his wife live in Atlanta with their two sons, and uh, we are going to dive into a very important subject, getting men involved in church. So, all right, Kevin, so why don't you give us about a 30,000-foot view of kind of who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah. So, John, you, you covered some of it. Um, a little bit like you, I, I wouldn't have dreamed had you asked me to write up my story that I would be doing kind of full-time ministry stuff. I was a business guy for most of my professional life. Um, like probably a lot of guys that are, are listening or a lot of men you know, you know, we get on the treadmill of work and we start to travel every week and we start to do the things that we feel like we're supposed to do, not the things we were designed to do. And so I, um, I was traveling, doing some financial services work and, uh, you know, I would say sacrificing my family on the altar of that work because I just felt like that was the plan. And I knew at some point I'd make enough money so that I could not travel and kind of recoup all the lost time. Um, that was about a 15-year career. I met our founder in 2002, and he became a mentor and a really, really uh, good friend. And probably I'd call him my best friend. And uh, somewhere around five, seven years ago, he called me and said, you know, Kevin, I've got this desire that um, I might have you. I'd love to see if you come help me kind of get this ministry off the ground and see what it might look like. And I thought, uh, no, you're crazy. That's, that's not exactly what I, what I think I want to do. But, um, five years ago, I started doing this full time and engaging in the lives of churches and, and trying to engage the hearts of men and, um, got myself off the road and, and my life hasn't, uh, hasn't slowed down ever since, but it sure has been a lot more rewarding. So, um, and you mentioned my two boys, this is my 20th year of marriage to Susan this September. My boys were 13 and 10. Uh, and I've got a 155 pound dog that on occasion will show up in the, in the window here behind me. So if you, <laughs> if you see something that looks like a bear, it is, uh, it's just Bella. She's just our dog. 155. You said 155. Yeah. That's a big dog. 
She's a handful, but she's a big lap dog. That's hilarious, man. Our, our lap dog weighs, uh, I think my wife's lap dog weighs three pounds, maybe four. That's, so that's I, what a lap dog should be. <laughs> so that is hilarious. Okay, I want to ask you, you made the comment um, at the beginning uh, before we dive into more questions, but you said supposed to do versus designed to do. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. a really interesting comment you made. You want to expand on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think unfortunately for a lot of men, we, we just get on this track that, you know, feels like it's, you know, you go to school, you get whatever degree you get, you jump into the workforce, you have this goal of hitting some target of some made up dollar sign that you think is the right amount of money and you'll do anything you can to hit that amount of money. And uh, once you do, you think, Oh man, I'll just go back and I'll recoup all these lost, this lost time at home. And, um, you know, for me personally doing what I was supposed to do, you know, it's that idea of, you know, designed to do, or, you know, called, called to do, if you will, for more of a churchy term. Um, but when you're off purpose, it's exhausting. And so many men that I come in contact with are off purpose. And that doesn't mean, you know, John, as, as you know, it doesn't mean everybody's got to stop working and join full-time ministry. I don't think God needs more full-time full-time ministers, but I do think God needs men to come alive. And once I kind of align my life purpose and my, and my calling, I've never felt more alive. But when I was doing the, doing the supposed to do job, I was exhausted and worn down and I was no fun to be around. And, um, I was probably, I was doing more damage at home. My kids were young. I was not present. And I just think, um, we get, we get stuck on that, on that treadmill. Well, all of a sudden, in my case, it was about 15 years of trudging on this treadmill. And as you know, um, you, you, the scenery doesn't ever change on a treadmill. It's all the same. And so you end up running your race and you realize you haven't gotten any further than you thought. So that's, that's a little bit of that supposed to versus designed to. I'm kind of curious because for a lot of us that are in the workforce, you talk about in business, so you'd understand this because you did it before, you know, and you also alluded to the, you made the comment that not all of us are called to ministry. How do you make that balance though? Because this pertains to anybody. I mean, right now we're talking about men, but this pertains to women too. There's, there like is that. no, this is both sides, but how do you, how did you find you needed to balance that or, or what mistakes did you make that, you know, if you were to go back, you say, man, I wish I would have done this differently because here's the proverbial carrot that I was chasing that I never caught. Right. Right. I mean, I think here I'll, I'll, I can speak for me specifically um, and, and maybe it'll, it'll, I'm sure it'll probably apply a little more broad. I think we've got to know our design and our purpose. And so one of the things that, that we do in our mentoring process is we try to get men to understand their purpose statement. Okay. It's a little bit of that understanding extrovert, introvert kind of stuff. But for me, it was, um, God has designed designed me to help, help help me help others unlock and apply their God given talents and strengths. So I've got inside of me. I, I think of the things that give me great energy is when I can sit across the table from a guy who's struggling with a business issue, a marriage issue, a life issue, and I can just talk through and ask him questions and begin to see him come out of what feels like a little bit of a fog and go okay, now I get it. You know, I don't have to be all in in business and then miss out on the opportunities to love and serve my neighbor, love and serve my family, love and serve my kids. I can do both. 
for me, I chose a, I chose a business that was heavy travel. Some guys are, can do that all week long. They're got huge amounts of energy. They can do that for me. It just began to grind me down to the shell of who I am. Yeah. But I thought, man, this is just what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I, it's a great opportunity. I was, you know, I was leading a sales force, so I was doing my purpose. I was in, in you know, in, engaging other people. I was pouring into them. And then I, one day I was signing the commission checks of the outside sales guys. And I thought, why in the world are these guys making two X what everybody else is making? They're not that gifted. They're not that more talented than I am. So I'm going to go ahead and sign the contract and I'm going to become an outside sales guy. So I left the, you know, helping people understand their purpose at work inside an office where I had influence with other salespeople to be the guy that was flying out every week, getting in a rental car, driving from meeting to meeting, having these 30 to 45 minute conversations with people who loved me a lot more for my expense account than they did for who I was. (laughs) I began to separate myself from that God design of influence inside of me where I wanted deep relationships and I wanted to have influence. And yes, I prayed for the people I was calling on and I was trying to make that my ministry, but that was off purpose. And so I began to just grind myself down to where I would come home. And by the time I was somewhat present and rallied and recovered to want to be even minimally helpful at home, I was back on an airplane the following week. And so it just began to rip everything else apart. And then I guilt of not being present and shame of not being a good husband. And you know how that cycle goes all of a sudden you, you're uh, you're lost. Okay. So if I'm a listener listening to you right now, you know, one of the first questions that I would ask is you keep talking about purpose, but how do I even, how do I discover that? Or how do I find that? What are some like key things that I can do as a person listening to the show right now saying, well, man, I don't, I don't know what my purpose is. How do I jump into that? Or how do I even start to find that? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a book, you know, we, we have some, some guys that, um, we read a book called the on purpose person. Um, I just finished a book called, uh, Shazam by Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor at, um, life church in Oklahoma. And part of, and I, I, I'd recommend either one of those two books, but part of it was um, part of that is looking back at your story and kind of finding the high and low moments and helping just helping see where did God show up and what were the lessons that came out of that, helping you see sort of what are the things that allow you to come alive? What are your spiritual gifts? Um, some of it's personality testing, extrovert, introvert, everybody now is talking about the Enneagram. If that's the thing that, that gets you, get you going, that's fine. But, um, and that just made me mad. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I read the Enneagram. I just got mad. I've done just, I've done all of them, but I did the I Enneagram. It made me frustrated, which was hilarious. Yeah. But so, I mean, some of it's just as simple as understanding your wiring a little bit right. and, and understanding your wiring and pairing that with your story and being able to see the places where God showed up. And um, to me, that was some of the more helpful things that, that happened. Looking back, I think, one of the questions you ask at some point, you may ask me about what are the things that make you feel alive? Man, just slow down. I mean, now, look, now's a great time to do it. Most of us yeah. aren't. If we were traveling sales guys, we certainly aren't now. And so now you can take some time to be reflective and, and really think through some of those things. And, and once you understand God's wiring inside of you, you, you really, that's the first step in unlocking that 
that purpose and that passion for your life. For sure. Okay. The other comment that you made um, is during that process while you're traveling, you, you kind of knew you were off kilter and you were just like, this is not what I'm designed for. How did you figure that out? At that point, I guess my question is, had you already done some disc testing? Were you already walking through that process or was it internal and you knew like, man, something's just not right and I got to make a shift? Um, Our marriage counselor told me. Sweet. Yeah, which which was great, which is really encouraging. You know, if you if you ventured into a a marriage counselor's office, you you go there with the sole goal of changing the person uh, that you're married to. (laughs) That's why you go, right? Oh, yes. And, uh, our, our counselor who, who we still see today um, when things are really healthy, um, she looked at me and said, you know what, Kevin, you, you know, you are depressed and you're not like depressed that everybody walks around and talks about, Oh, I'm just anxious or depressed. She's like, no, you, you've got a clinical issue with depression that you need to figure out. And so she sent me to a psychologist and I began the journey at that point of, um, stepping into the the world of depression and for so many for a lot of folks you know depression will be a you know you may mask it through alcohol or other things or you know guys in the traveling sales force you know some of those those got the divorce rate in that somewhere in upwards of 50 percent typically my depression was pure exhaustion Hmm. i would you know, if I was done my day at five o'clock, I would get myself back to a hotel as quickly as possible, eat a real easy dinner and go to sleep. Right. If my first meeting was at eight o'clock in the morning, I'd get up at seven thirty, throw myself together and grind myself out the door to just go slog my way through day after day after day. Um, we, my wife and I would go to dinner and we'd get out of the car and I'd hand the valet guy my keys and I was a hundred times nicer to the valet guy than I was to my, to my own wife. And so we might sit across the dinner table and not say a word to each other, but man, I walk outside and it was like, I'm, I'm alive again. Oh, Mr. Valet, you know, high-fiving him and getting the keys and giving him a tip. And then it was just, but I was just, I was a shell of who I was supposed to be. And for me, that's how it showed up. It was, you know, Gary Thomas says marriage is a full length mirror. Um, I missed, I missed the signs, but that in that, in that marriage counselor's office that day, she leaned in and just said, Kevin, I, you know, I've watched this long enough to know that you, you can't continue to do this and you're going to lose out on the things you care about the most, your wife and your kids and your family and your future. And you're going to find yourself living in a one bedroom apartment somewhere. And there's going to be somebody else sleeping with your wife and somebody else raising your boys. And you got to get, that's a wake up call. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And that, that's really, where that journey started. And I had this mentor guy I mentioned who I met in 2002, who um, really leaned in and spoke a lot of truth into my life, a lot of hard truth. But I had also had another guy a little further down the road for me who was willing to not validate and tell me all the things that I was doing right and how this counsel was wrong to say, Hey, you know, you, you got to get your crap together. So I'm kind of curious as far as your take on marriage counseling. I know what you're going to say, I think, but for those listening, there's a lot of times people I've mentored, a lot of men had a lot of conversations over the years in my office, guys um, that won't step in to get counseling because they think obviously it's, it's a crutch or whatever. I've heard so many different things, but what's really interesting to me is recently I've had a couple men 
that I've, uh, that I kind of counsel and I spend time with, but their wives don't want to go, which totally blew my mind. I couldn't even believe that. Like they were all in like, Hey, we got to get this fixed, but their wives wouldn't go for whatever reason. Would you kind of speak to that for a moment? Cause I think everyone has a struggle with that, but I think in my opinion and whatever it's worth anybody, but Man, if you want to get anywhere in life, you have to have somebody speak into your life and some, okay. and that's counseling. And like, we don't go, I, I grew up playing sports my whole life. Well, every sports team had a good, that we were good. We had a good coach and, and showed us the good, the bad and the ugly and kind of busted our butt. And I kind of think after college or high school, however far you played, people just assume like, as if we don't need that anymore. Right. And I right. think that's false. It has been the, we're probably now somewhere around 10 years into counseling, which is over half of our marriage. And yes, we went into that in crisis mode, but now it is very much coaching for us. I mean, it is exactly like you described. It is, we're, we're going in now, we're, you know, we may be reviewing some plays, we're reviewing the film. Yeah, there are some things that we've, you know, that conversations we've had that we just know that this is this is best if we we brought this to to our counselor and talk through the details of that, and we were able to kind of look a little bit further inside of us. Now I feel like I have a much better understanding of Susan's raw spots. You know, I kind of know the narrative in her life that if I want to be a jerk, I can go right there and I can pick the scab off the wound. Or if I want to be the husband that God's called me to be kind of try to avoid those areas and try to avoid the places where, where I know she's going to have a little bit of um, a little bit of pain. And so it's oftentimes that's what counseling is. And so for the, for the men whose wives don't want to go, um, you know, you, you step into it yourself. And I think, yeah, I mean, I do love that. The second time I've mentioned this Gary Thomas quote, I mean, the idea that if you, <clears throat> you can look at your wife and she will reflect back to you, the kind of man oftentimes that you're being, obviously there are some situations that are different than that, but she will be the full length mirror that will reflect right back to you. Um, and you need to understand her wiring and, and her narrative and her story. And I think oftentimes a counseling office is the best place to do that. If not, it's going to become, you know, I do this and then you should do that. And the idea that everything should be fair and equal. And I just don't think that's, that's not how God designed marriage. So um, it has been a game changer for us. And some, there are weeks, sometimes we go in and we just hang out with our counselor. She's become a friend. Yeah. And we just enjoy the time together and we talk and we laugh about funny things that happened or we'll talk about parenting issues, but it's just, it's become the safest place for us to go as a couple and have good and bad and ugly conversations and walk out knowing we went in there to get better. That's good. Okay. I've never asked this question before and I'm kind of well, curious. Do it, don't do it then. Yeah, dude, I have to, man. Cause I think this is, I'm, I'm curious, but I think you're going to have a good answer. And that is um, purpose in marriage. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel like your purpose relates to your marriage and how do those overlap? You know, um, and the good news is I will have a good answer. It's going to be the only answer you've ever had since you've never asked the question <laughs> before, right? So, yes. So you're a 10 out of 10 so no matter expert, what, right? dude. So it doesn't matter yes. what I say, I am the expert. Um, Absolutely. 
This has been, this would be maybe a unique answer. Um, you know, I know my wiring, I know Susan's wiring, but our, our, our family dynamics, when I joined kind of this full-time position about five years ago, we shifted our contracts a little bit, not contracts in the formal sense, but my wife works outside of the house, which is not an unusual dynamic in this day and age. Um, and so the, as the contract shifted, I mean, my ultimate purpose is to love her, not to, you know, not to go biblically high level, but I need to love her as Christ loved the church, which is sacrificial. And for me, um, I needed to be aware of the sacrifices that she was making in her career so that I could stop the traveling and come into the home and really try to try to re-engage a little bit more in terms of our, we call them our hearth and our home contracts. And so in, in my um, desire to love her sacrificially, it became a little bit more of me being present here, me um, doing some more of the cooking and me trying to do some things to take some of the pressure off of her. Yes, this is a full-time job for me. I, I do travel some, but um, my purpose and in, in helping her understand her design and God's design for our marriage was really shifting some of those things that were um, her quote unquote, her job, not my job yeah. and became my job so that she could have a little bit more flex flexibility and not feel the incredible amount of pressure that she might otherwise take on because she became one of the, she became the breadwinner. And, and I needed to also humble myself and realize that, if I'm doing what God has designed me to do and we're aligned as a couple and she's going to be the full length mirror that reflects back to me, I can't live my life the same way I was living in and expect things to go the same way. And so just, it's created a huge, much greater awareness in me to know how to, uh, how to love and serve her better. I like that. All right. Great answer. Only answer I've ever gotten. So it was great. Good. Perfect. Um, Okay, so we've kind of talked, I mean, I've veered off several rabbit trails because I always have questions. I'm intrigued by people's lives yeah. and what they do. So why don't you jump into or a lot of radical mentoring and kind of what that looks like as far as what it is and what you're yeah. doing the impact? Yeah, so we, um, our founder was a guy named Reggie Campbell, passed away about uh, six, gosh, almost eight weeks ago now. Um, he was a business guy. And so uh, he was a guy who um, had invested his life in, in his stories aligned a lot of men, was really focused on his career. Um, things got a little bit off for him in terms of his, his marriage with his priorities. Um, God got a hold of him and he decided he was going to take his life and just pour it into others. And so he began to mentor and become, he was called a mentor by a lot of um, younger men, men, a season of life behind them. And um, those guys would begin to ask him questions about marriage and life and business. And what he realized is he was pouring his life into one guy, but there were all these empty seats around the table. And so what he started doing back, rewind the tape back to 2001, he would invite a group of guys into his house and they would spend an intentional year of time together. They didn't let me clarify that. No one lived in his house for a year. We would go to his house. We'd meet with him once a month for three hours. We'd do, read a book. We'd memorize scripture. He'd give us some really practical homework assignments to do. We'd get together with him and maybe another guy in between our monthly sessions. And it just became a place, not a Bible study, 
but a place where we could go where I, for the first time in 2002, sat across the table from a, a true authentic man of God who was willing to share the warts and the scabs and the ugly parts of his marriage with us, who didn't claim to have all of the answers, um, and a group of other men who were in very similar situation that I was. We were all pursuing careers and were confused about what life was supposed to look like. Fast forward from 2002 until, um, not quite today, but he wrote a book called Mentor Like Jesus that was published in 2010, because what he began to realize is the process he was following was the exact same process Jesus was following. He was in a group. There was a defined period of time. He was practically teaching these men and then sending them out to go do these things, and they'd come back together. Um, he was on purpose. He was asking them to go out and multiply. And so um, when that book came out, it began, it began to define and get a little momentum. And so um, some Atlanta churches started to use, use the process. The ministry launched around the same time the book launched. Um, and what we decided was we were going to engage the local church because so many, uh, so many men would say that they want to mentor, but then you'd ask them if they have a group of younger men behind them that they could invite in. And they'd go, no, I don't, I don't have any younger guys that I know that would be willing to be mentored. And so the, the local church began was a place where there were older men with a story and younger men who wanted to hear that story and authentically do life in a high commitment, authentic way. We began to talk to local churches about the process. Today, we work with somewhere around 350 churches of all shapes and sizes and denominations all across the country. We've seen about 12,000 men go through the process, which is really the exact same process I went through in 2002. So what I I tell pastors and leaders is um, we don't want to replace anything that a church does, but we think we can enhance the disciple making process. We have a process for women now as well. Um, we can help enhance their men's ministry. We can help them to identify and train future leaders of the church. And so what we've done is we've taken that process and just packaged it in a way that a church leader can go to our website, radicalmentoring.com and they can find all of our resources. And uh, not that you want a commercial, but the only thing I would say is this. Plug it, dude. Plug it, Kevin. Come well, on, baby. Well, we give everything away. So yeah, no, if, no, I'm being serious. I, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, if you're a pastor I'm, I'm having or fun. leader, yeah, if you're a pastor or leader with a heart to do this, you can go to our website. You can download our entire process. I'm, we're not going to ask you for a credit card. Um, we believe, and, and God has honored this, that radical mentoring will be funded by men and churches who've been touched by the ministry. So Amen. I get to hear over and over again, these incredible stories of men coming alive. And I don't want $39.99 a month for you to get access to it. I just want, I believe, truly believe that if the right guy is a mentor or the right guy as a pastor gets a hold of this and begins to engage another generation behind them, these guys' lives are going to come alive because they're experiencing the authentic life that Christ has for them. And once they begin to unpack that and realize it's not this rigid process and it's not this legalistic, you know, we're not asking anybody to join full-time ministry. It's just, hey, we're just real guys with real problems and we need to have a place where we can start to process and talk about these things. And so you can literally find everything on um, our website, radicalmentoring.com. You can buy 
mentor like Jesus, if you're interested in kind of that full process um, of kind of what, what got, what Reggie believed was Jesus's model for mentoring um, that books on Amazon and all, all the other, all the places where books are sold. All the places say. books are sold. Yes. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit about the process, um, kind yeah. of what that formula or the keys for success are in some of those, if you would share those. Yeah. So, um, when we think of the process, there's two roles, there's mentor, and then there's the mentees, which are the guys that are, what I would say is a season of life, season of life behind the mentor. If you want to talk about the key for the mentor, the mentor should be a great facilitator. The mentor should be the kind of guy that um, doesn't think, man, if I can get six guys around my dining room table and I can tell them everything I know about marriage for three hours, these guys are going to be the greatest husbands in the world because nobody wants to be told anything for three hours. <laughs> yes. So the mentor's got to be that profile guy who has an authentic, real relationship with Christ that people look to in your church or in your community as, man, I just want a little bit of what that guy has. The mentees are guys who are um, need to be willing to make a really hard commitment. You know, one of the things that we, we ask of, um, of the mentees is that they sign a covenant that says, hey, I'm going to be at every single meeting. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to um, fully engage in memorizing the scripture and fully engage in the process. And at some point down the road, I'm going to pay it forward. Not every guy will have that capacity. And so what you ask of these mentees is follow the script, follow the process. You know, if you're traveling all the time um, or if you have young kids at home or you want to go to graduate school, it may not be the right season of life for you. But if you're willing to attend a meeting once a month for three hours and we lay out a process for all that sort of stuff. And the real process is inner man to outer man. And it's amazing how many men haven't, dealt with, you know, some of the daddy issues, some of the father wound stuff. And so if you can get them to understand their identity in Christ, sort of who they are in God's eyes and kind of separate that from the, some of the narrative they've got from their own fathers, you can begin to unpack some of that, help them understand grace, and prayer, help them understand who they are. And all this is on, in your curriculum on your website. Literally, yeah, literally it's all there. Conversation guides for each meeting. I mean, if you think about it and you finish it, we've got everything in between. Okay. Um, and so that's, that's really the process we've tried to define is how do you, um, how do you just help these, these small group mentoring environments come alive inside your church is a part of what you're already doing. Okay. Why don't you give me a couple of testimonies, some of your favorites? Cause I mean, I don't know about you and I'm actually telling War nation right now. I read every testimony that people leave on iTunes or when they send us emails, because I think you can attest to this, Kevin, there's days like you don't want to show up. And I'm just being honest. Like there's days I don't feel like showing up to the podcast because I've been beat up over the weekend. I'm tired. Uh, I'm spiritually battling with stuff. I have bad self-talk, whatever it may be. And, and people don't realize it, but when you leave a, when you leave a testimony or what it's impacted you, sometimes I literally, my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I'm getting on iTunes and I'll go back and I'll read old, uh, reviews of testimonies that people left because it just encourages me to pick up that baton no and keep doubt. moving forward. Cause sometimes it's hard. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, a couple of cool stories that I, I mean, literally just that 
I get to hear, uh, we work, do some work with a church that's in, um, in Kentucky and the, in their mentoring group, one of the mentees um, passed away post, post the group. So the group had happened, they had finished the group, mentee, uh, one of the mentees had passed away. He's got another group of men that are in there with him. And the guy sends me a picture of um, the men, the other mentees were the guys that were carrying the casket were the pallbearers of the guy that passed away. They had gone through this journey together. One of the things we do, we'll talk about is again, kind of who will be your pallbearers? Who's your one guy? Who's your 2 a.m. friend? We talk about, we have a lot of those hard conversations because so many men don't know how to answer that or can't answer it. And these mentees were the ones that showed up to carry the casket of the guy that was in the group the years before who had, who had passed away. So we've got some stories like that. Um, we've got some stories of guys. I'm leading now my fourth group. Uh, I had a guy who was in my group three years ago who, um, you know, some of these guys stick real close to you. Some of them aren't, you know, you go through the process, they drift away from the mentor, but they come back. And I had a guy come back to me about six months ago and say, look, I'm traveling now more than I ever have. Um, I'm drinking more in hotels than I probably would care to admit to anybody. And if I was honest, I like the feeling of being out of control. And I need you, Kevin, to be the one that now is going to hold me accountable and reach out to me and make sure that I'm keeping my life on track. So, you know, the story of a guy that all of a sudden, several years down the road is now reaching back into to my life, not because I'm brilliant, but because I was willing to take a little bit of time and a little bit of my story and invest it in his life is now coming back, wanting me to help hold him accountable to, to a process. We have pastors that, um, that lead groups. And um, one of the first things we do in these groups is we do a story retreat. And we get these guys to share their really true stories with each other. I, t- I tell men, don't share the, you know, the Sunday school version of your story. Don't share the Saturday night version of your story either. But do share the hard parts where God showed up, where you still struggle. And I had a pastor who led, leading a group. Now imagine this, you're the senior pastor of a church, and you're going to get six people in, in your own church, and you're going to share your story with them. And so he shares a little bit of a somewhat buttoned up story. These other six guys who are he's mentoring go all in and share their stories with each other. The pastor at the end of that story retreat leans in and goes, guys, I got to retell my story to you because you were so authentic. I held some stuff back. And so he begins to unpack the real side of his story to these guys who could go back and call the elders or whatever the church leadership is and have him removed from his position he unpacks his real story with him and he sends us, sends us a text and says, this is the most freeing day of my ministry career was being able to have a group of men who I'm able to walk and journey with who now know me and know me deeply and know me well, because so many environments we put men in, you and I have probably been, you know, we're having bad days. I can still show up to a men's group and I can fake my way through that thing and ask all the answer the questions a little bit here, a little bit there, reveal enough. But if I don't show up for two or three weeks, more than likely, nobody's going to call me and say, hey, Kevin, where were you? But now that I'm fully known and fully alive, guys aren't going to settle for, for you to either not show up or show up halfway. And so yeah. a lot of it is just the freedom of these stories that get told or, or where the life change really begins to happen. 
Man, you said that it broke my heart, and I'll tell you why. I was I was just thinking about that pastor because, as you're aware, and a lot of us have read, there's been several pastors over the last year that have committed suicide uh, that we've seen and a lot of stuff. And what makes me sad is is there's this expectation that I believe that people and and I'm going to be honest, I'm going to call people out on this is elders that they put an expectation on a pastor to be this perfect human being that's not and he can't live up to the expectation and he doesn't even have and this is for women too but the, uh, in leadership is if they don't they don't even have the ability to to talk about their issues and problems and they hold it all in and because they feel like they have to live up to this expectation that's not even humanly possible and then because of that they they end up getting in sexual sin or uh, alcoholism or drugs or whatever and man i just I just want to say this too. If you're an elder, if you're somebody in leadership in the church, man, be the person, your pastor, somebody can go to like Kevin's talking about, because everybody needs somebody. And when we set our leadership up with that type of expectation, we're basically saying, I'm setting you up to fail no matter what. And I'm sure you've seen it over and over. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a long, it's a lonely position. Not all, not all pastors will lead groups primarily because they don't want to be in a position where they're able to, they may not want to share some of the stuff that's going on and some of the challenges, but you know, being at the top of anything, you get it. You're a business owner. You're, you know, you know, you can show up in your office or, or some of your guys and you can put on the mask and um, nobody will ask you anything because you're sort of, you're the boss. Right. And I think, you know, the, the humility and the servant leadership says, no, I, I need to be real with these guys around me. And I think when you do it, you, you'll never go back. Yeah. You know, once I unpacked my story and once God, you know, broke me in my marriage and I'm not going to go back to where I was because I don't want to have to relive that journey, but I sure do want to talk to other people about it because I know if I can share like guys, I'm 45, the guys I mentor were somewhere between 28 and mid thirties, newly married with young kids. And I know that if I can share a little bit of my bumps and bruises and help them see the redemption that happened in that story, I just hope God will use me in some way in the lives of these men, not because I have all the right answers, but because I've been able to share my story with them. I think. You, you know, what's funny about that is it's like you said, it's not that I have all the right answers. I've just made all the mistakes. Right. <laughs> You and I can look, I can look back and say, Hey, you're making the same mistake that I made. This is the end result. If this is the result you want, keep doing what you're doing. Cause I did it. But it. if you want a different result, you better shift and make it quick. You got it. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about real quick. Um, you talk about qualities of a mentor and I thought yeah. maybe you could hit on that a little bit. What, um, one of them, I'm trying to look back on my notes that you, a great facilitator, and I don't know if that's one of the qualities, but I'm just being honest. Like I love to facilitate, but that's a natural role for me as, as a president of a business. So I get that. But a lot of men, the moment you said great facilitator, the first thing I thought was I'm out because automatically people think a guy's going to be like, dude, I don't know how to do that. I don't want to be that. How, am I right or am I wrong? Because that's the first thing I think. You're right and wrong. Okay. And here's, here's what I would say. Um, some people, I would say, you know, facilitation to some people is a, um, 
is a, is a way for them to, they just know they've got a natural gifting that they're not going to let the guy in the corner who's not saying much, they're not going to let him sit there and not say anything. That's good. And they're, and they're, they know how to shut the guy down who, you know, you ask him, you know, how his day was and he starts, at the, <laughs> you know, 5.59 a.m. when he got out of bed. He knows how to say, hey, hey, gentlemen, that's probably enough. I really want to hear from you, Kevin. I'm laughing because every group has those, man. I do. It's just, they keep going and you have to, you're like, okay, that's, that's great. Now move on to the next one. And for some, the downside to facilitation is, oh crap. You know, what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to, if I'm not talking all the time, somebody might ask me a question and I might have to reveal a little bit of a break in my armor and and they may begin to see a, a real side of me. And so, I'm much happier standing in front of the room and teaching because if I'm a great teacher, nobody's going to ask me any questions. I'm just going to impress them with my knowledge and I can keep everybody kind of at arm's length all around me and I can, I can be unknown. And if you, if you facilitate well, you facilitate out of the position and the humility in your heart and you you're facilitating out of the vulnerability and transparency in your life. And for a lot of men, it does take the right kind of a guy who's willing to share the story and be asked questions and ask questions of others. You know, I tell some guys, you meet once a month for three hours. And they think either, how do you accomplish anything not meeting every week? Because we get in church world, we get in that, you know, we're going to talk about this in room 101 on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Or they think, what in the world do men talk about for three hours? Yeah, especially now. I mean, there's no sports on. Good gracious! I mean, what do you talk about? For three hours when you <laughs> I didn't even sports? think about that. That's yeah. hilarious. But that it takes that facilitator. To, I mean, I have never had a meeting. Um, actually, my wife tells me I should never say always or never. Very rarely have I had a meeting that hasn't bumped into that three-hour window of time. Because if I can get, you know, if I do the story retreat up front and I get these guys to be real transparent with each other, then we're giving each other permission to ask really hard questions. First couple meetings takes a little while to get there, but by the third or fourth meeting in, I can't, I can't walk back in and go, man, my wife is just filling the blank. Because at some point, you, John, are going to lean forward and go, Kevin, don't come back here again next month telling me all the reasons why your wife isn't. What that means is you're not doing something at home. And so all of a sudden I've got these guys who are willing to lean in and share their stories with me. And a great facilitator creates that environment. A great facilitator says, I don't know. What do you guys think? Not waxes on poetic about some long answer that they're making up as they go because they just don't want to get caught in that feeling of not knowing the right answer. I like that you said, um, you know, I was thinking about you talking about calling people out. Yeah, I, I preached a sermon. This is years ago. And it's it's funny. I was preaching to myself. It stuck with me, actually. I don't know if the kids got anything out of it. But um, it was uh, the Beatitudes mm-hmm. and uh, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. But I walked away with Be the Change. And, mm-hmm. you know, so many times we complain about our circumstances, whether that's work, our marriage, our kids, whatever it is. And I thought, you know, stop complaining about it and just be right. the change. And whatever that looks like, I can't change anybody else, but I can change me. And there's probably a really good possibility. The problem is me and they're reacting to me. So I need to be different. No doubt. And sometimes that's what happens in those groups. You just, you begin to see that come out in men 
And then you've got a group of guys who are willing to kind of lean in and, and call that out in you, which is, which is amazing to watch that happen. Okay. So we didn't, we kind of, did you hit all five qualities? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think we, we got Cetra. Okay. Yeah, we, we covered a lot. Okay. I made up a few too. Okay. So I'm going to, there's one question I never skip. I'm going to ask you that, but I was really interested in you talk about, um, and you barely brief, you mentioned it, nobody else might've caught it, but you talk about writing in an obituary, yeah. uh, change your life. I, I find that I read that somewhere years ago and I've, I don't think I've ever written it out, but I've thought about it. Like what would people say at my funeral? What would my wife say? What would my kids say? What would my friends say? And I've played that over in my mind. I do need to get it out on paper. I should, but I've thought about it. Will you talk about that? Yeah. So um, my application to be in the mentoring group in 2002 was to literally write my own obituary. Um, and it really is a vision statement for your life. I mean, you, you know, you, anytime you're asked, if you've never been asked that question, you're exactly right. It does. You can't just sit down at your computer and crank out a 500 word obituary in 15 or 20 minutes and be done with it. I mean, it does cause you to look back and try to see, you know, at the end of the day, what you, you just answered the questions. What do I want my wife to say about me? What do I want my kids to say about me? Who's going to show up? I mean, I just went to uh, the funeral of Reggie Campbell, the founder of our organization, um, on the one day in Atlanta that it snows every year. His funeral was on that day. And there mm. was still, it was a room full of people, probably, I'm going to guess, probably 700 people somehow made it driving in Atlanta in the snow, the majority of which were men that he mentored and their spouses. So there is, he mentored about 200 guys on his own. Most of those guys were in the room with their wives, his kids, uh, adult children all speak at the funeral and just talk about the incredible ways he led their family. Well, his wife speaks at the funeral and just talks about the beauty of their marriage. They were married for 50 years and what, you know, the hard times and the good times and how he led and who he was at home. And, um, you just get to almost, you, you could be deaf and show up at that funeral and understand who Reggie was just by seeing the people that were in the room. And you do, you, when you write your obituary, you kind of walk through those areas of your life and you just want to know what you want to think about the kind of person you want to be, whether that is a year down the road or a day down the road or 50 years down the road. It should change everything. Yeah. If you're sitting there trying to authentically really do that, not, you know, not just trying to make up some story about how great you were in the office. I mean, if you really authentically <laughs> think about who you want to be at the end of your life, which by the way, we don't know when the end of that life is going to be, we better start living on purpose. You know, I never even thought about it. You reverse that into a vision statement. And it's funny, the moment you said that, I just thought, duh. And I thought that was really good because I do have a vision statement for my life. My wife and I went on a retreat in January and we wrote out our one, three, five, and 10-year goals for our marriage, for our kids, what life looks like. And part of that is, I think, is playing over in my mind uh, is the obituary type concept of saying, you know, when I leave, this is you know, if I leave 
after or before my wife and or whatever that looks like when they come, I want to know that I, I was Christ to them, that I blessed them, that I was everything that I was supposed to be to my family. Right. Period. End of sentence. Good job. So yeah, you're right. Okay. So um, Kevin, as we wrap this up, uh, last two questions. One is if you could go back to the younger you, mm-hmm. what age are you going to pick and what advice are you going to give yourself? Yeah. So, um, my dad passed away suddenly in a car accident when I was a junior in high school. So kind of that sort of uh, probably fairly formative years. And I'd probably give myself these, I'd probably remind myself of these two things. I would remind myself that God is near. And I think oftentimes, you know, when we judge our relationship, the distance God has to our life is directly tied to our circumstances. And I think that's obviously that's bad theology. And the other thing I would tell myself is that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. At, you know, it's, I would probably save myself several bad relationships and a whole heck of a lot of bad decisions that I made in an effort just to self protect and keep people at a distance and, and keep my mask on. And if I could understand the power of taking the mask off and leaning into a relationship and being authentic and true with somebody with, and not expecting that person to give me all the right answers, but, but just knowing that I had like, somebody in my life that I could be that person with, my, my, the trajectory of my life, it may have taken me a little less time to get to where I am today. Um, but I, those are probably the two lessons. God is, God is near and it's okay to not be okay. Man, I love that you said that. I was having that conversation with one of my kids, my wife and I, uh, it was probably within the last month and they're a teenager. And obviously there's so many struggles that people go through, whether you're a teenager or adult is just kind of being authentic in you and then trying to fit in in the crowd and all that, you know, and I, and I told my kid that I said, when you're you, you're going to attract the people that you want to be in your life. But the problem is, is when we don't act like ourselves and we pretend and try to be something we're not, we're attracting the type of people that we don't want in our life. And, uh, and it's okay because people are going to reject you just because you're not designed to click with everybody and whoever you were made to click with is going to stay and those who aren't are going to leave. But those are the, even if it's one or two people, those are the people you want in your life. Not everybody. You got it. You got it. So, okay. So Kevin, how do we find you? I know you, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier and uh, I told you to do a plug, but do it again. Like, how do we find you? How do we get a hold of you, your curriculum and the stuff that you're doing? If we want to have you come speak at our church. Yeah. So go to uh, easiest way, radicalmentoring.com. That's our website. Um, you can go to the upper right-hand side. You can create an account. It's a free account. Um, once you get into the account, you'll be able to see all the resources. Then we'll connect you with, with a guide. So we have a staff of three. Um, myself and another gentleman um, really want to get our hands dirty with the people who are interested in us. And so we'll reach out. We can set up some time to get on the phone with you, get to know you, get to know your church, talk about the resources and the process and help to see where it fits. So radicalmentoring.com is the easiest way to find us. Awesome, man. I'm excited. I plan, I don't know if I'll get on there today. I hope my phone's already blowing up from work, but I'll definitely be getting on there today or tomorrow and signing up. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing. So um, definitely going to, are you real is going to be a part of that for sure. So 
All right. Well, Kevin, you get the last words as I wrap up the show. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? No, John, I just say thank you for doing this. Um, you know, you, you, we do some of these things out of, uh, out of obedience and, uh, we don't necessarily know who hears it, but, um, the idea of communicating in a way to people that they can be their authentic and real selves and all these different areas, whether it be work or ministry or life or marriage or whatever it is, um, we, we've got to have these places where you can get these stories out. And, uh, I'm just grateful that you're doing this number one, and that you, uh, you let me be a part of it. So. Thank you. Well, we loved having you, man. Thank you so much. So hold on just a second, Kevin. Word Nation, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, man, I really encourage you, uh, women and men, uh, to jump on his website, to download this stuff. And even if you're thinking to yourself, well, man, I don't really have three hours or I don't have time to start a group or to join a group. But let me tell you this. Maybe you have the time to read the curriculum and just maybe impact one person at work right now or your spouse or your family or start to make that change. I, you know, I feel like we covered a huge spectrum of years of stuff um, that Kevin and I just talked about, but it's a day-to-day process. It's just taking one step. And I would just encourage you guys to make that one step in the right direction to change your future, to change your marriage, the outcomes, the things that you really desire to have. I'm just telling you right now, it's possible. And you can do it, but you have to make the step. So that's just the encouragement for the day. If you need help, please reach out to Casey or myself uh, on Facebook. That's where Casey checks uh, most of our stuff. And please leave a review. They're encouraging. I love to hear your stories. So love y'all. Remember, be real, be authentic, and be you. That's all for this episode of Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You. Be sure to go to areyoureal.org for your free questionnaire to identify your gifts and talents and how you can use them to help people become leaders and catapult them into their destiny to help others become the leaders of tomorrow. We appreciate you spending your time with us and look forward to helping you reach out and revolutionize next time on Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You.